The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Good afternoon and welcome to the Leslie Marshall Show. Uh, this is Nicholas Wapshot, the opinion editor of Newsweek, standing in for Leslie this afternoon. We've got uh, lots of interesting guests. Uh, we've got lots of topics to talk about. My goodness, has the political season ever been more exciting than it is right now? Uh, and uh, let's get first on to the very first guest, which is I'm very privileged to have him on board, and that is uh, the politics editor of Newsweek, Matt Cooper who has seen a lot of uh, elections in his time. And uh, my goodness, uh, he's got some comments, I'm sure, to make about the strange world that we've washed up in now. Matt, are you there? I am, Nicholas. Thanks for having me. Oh, it was a great pleasure. So let's get right into it. So tomorrow, Wisconsin looks like a little trickier for Trump than it's been in the past. It's a different sort of conservatism. Do you feel, get the sensation that Trump's momentum is slowing down right now? it's possible, although, gosh knows, uh, Nicholas, we've said that before, right? I mean, each time he has what's supposed to be a campaign-ending gaffe or whatnot, he he continues to march on. So I'd I'd be loath to say this is too big a bump, but um, if the polling's to be believed, he he will have a tough time winning uh, tomorrow in Wisconsin. And what's the the problem with the uh, Wisconsin conservatives. They seem to be more conservative than usual conservatives, because a lot of conservatives fall by the wayside and say, actually, Trump will do, whereas in Wisconsin, they've, they've given him a really bad time, haven't they? Yeah, they have. It's uh, it's a little quirky. It's, um, you know, the state's uh, built around a, a, a big media market where few very anti-Trump uh, talk show hosts uh, dominate. Uh, you know, the governor has a lot of power, Scott Walker, and he's thrown in with Cruz. Um, Paul Ryan, the Speaker of the House, is from Wisconsin. He's no fan of Trump. So I think those things, plus Trump's own uh, miscues this week about abortion, have, have not helped him going into this particular primary. For Ted Cruz, Wisconsin comes a bit late, doesn't it? And for Kasich, far too late. Yeah, it really does. You know, Kasich's won one primary. It's his home state. And, um, you know, he's got he's to win some others in this crazy system of ours. And, and Cruz, uh, you know, is just still uh, far behind Trump and delegates and needs to keep uh, racking them up. And, you know, at whatever happens tomorrow, we're going into some states that look very good for uh, Trump, especially his home state of New York. So, uh, you know, that's, that's going to be Trump country, barring anything extraordinary. And your best guess right now, is he going to squeak over the line, uh, by, which would just get enough votes just about in that first ballot at the convention in Ohio? Would, would that uh, bring it – is he going to get away with not having a contested convention, do you think, or is it just too, too yeah, early and as well as too difficult to call? Kind of, I'm in a minority that thinks he will. I think if if I had to game out a scenario, I think the most likely is he finishes this all the balloting and the primaries, maybe a hundred 
150 short, and then by hook, crook, whatever, finds a way to get over, whether it's, you know, getting the endorsement of uh, John Kasich and making him his vice president or something. Uh, somehow he's going to pry loose the rest of the delegates before the convention. That's my guess. I could be wrong. And, but where does that leave the GOP? Because, I mean, this, this is, I know that well, right. the primary that's, that's race is exactly always very, right very harsh. Right, because, so. But in this case... Uh, it's, it's shown the Republican Party, first of all, almost not to exist. The establishment may not exist. Uh, we, we've got a party divided in at least two parts, if not three whole parts, and they don't seem to be happy to get into bed with each other. Kasich might be an exception if he gets on the ticket, but uh, what's happened to the Republican Party, Matt? Well, I think they've got a uh, they've got a real problem, you know. For the better part of thirty five years, they've held together with a with a mantra of um, you know the hawkishness on defense and and uh, tax cuts and uh, kind of social conservatism, and that's kind of kept everyone in this coalition. Uh, you know, Trump kind of busted that up in a lot of ways, and so um, I don't know if it'll be easy to put back together again, regardless of who's the nominee. You know, if Trump is denied, doesn't mean Trumpism will go away, or the people who didn't like the uh, Jeb Bushes. Um, so I think, uh, I, I think it remains a party divided. Which means that, therefore, you come up to November, Matt. I mean, what's going to happen? As far as I can understand, the people with the money are not prepared to give any of it to Trump. Uh, the conservatives, on the whole, dislike Trump for all sorts of reasons, mainly because he's not a conservative of any sort. Does that mean that the Republicans lose in November? Well, it's 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 going to be tough for them, Nicholas. But I think, um, you know, I think they're ultimately their their uh, hatred of Hillary and the thought of a third term for Barack Obama uh, will drive a lot of them to stomach Trump if he's the nominee. Or conversely, uh, the, you know, the the Trumpites if if uh, somehow Trump doesn't get the nomination. So I think in the end, you know, they'll they'll be divided, but they might be able to, you know, have just enough. Um, unity to, uh, you know, wage a strong contest. Will they have enough money, do you think, Matt? Well, you know, I, we, I, it could be. We just don't know the um, the new calculus of money. You know, I mean, Trump has spent so little in this uh, primary. He's really thrown the old math out. And so it, it depends part of it on how much he can continue to ride on free media and how much, uh, you know, the powers to be are willing, the Koch brothers or all the groups or small donors are willing to uh, open their wallets. And, and we don't really know yet. And, and so far, he's lent himself a lot of money, hasn't he? He has. You know, we don't um, – he's, he's very much a privately held corporation, so we don't totally know what's going on other than his filings to the Federal Election Commission. But so far it seems, yeah, he's basically lending himself the cash to do this. But he's spending a lot less than most other candidates do. But, but then what about his promise, Matt, that he's not going to take any money? Presumably he expects the RNC or the big donors – to come round to him in eventually because of the anti-Clinton factor and start writing out some checks. Uh, is well, you know, this, uh, this man has changed his position on abortion a few times in a week. <laughs> I think I think he'll find a way <laughs> to do the pirouette that allows him to accept the the lucre of others. You know, I mean, I think he's already said, well, if it's a small donation, what's the big deal? I think he'll find a way to, you know, take bigger ones if the time comes. Um, you know, I yeah, I, but I do agree it will diminish. Um, much of his appeal with his people if he if he's suddenly taking contributions like everyone else 
Yeah. What do you think happened to the Tea Party, which used to be such a force until recently? And you don't hear much about it, and the Tea Party leaders seem to be pretty quiet about it. But a lot of Tea Party is Trump, in a way, isn't it? It's just sort of... Right. Well, I think the Tea Party was always a slightly um, uh, ambiguous uh, term for an ambiguous group um, that was mostly just... You know, at first it seemed to be primarily libertarian in its leaning, its origins being in the uh, high spending of the George W. Bush administration or the Obama stimulus program. I think in time people came to see the Tea Party as much as a, um, you know, uh, anti-illegal immigration uh, movement as it, is, as it was a libertarian economic movement. And I, I think it's just become eclipsed by, by, the, by the showman himself who's, who's appropriated some of those themes. Right, he's appropriated the uh, disgust of Obama, and he's appropriated the um, anti-immigration part. And I think he is—he's the Tea Party, and uh, and so much more now. Yeah. Have you ever known any figure like this in recent history, Matt? I mean, you've you've been around without without bringing not, in your age. You've not in an advanced time. economy. So you've seen a lot of things. Anything <laughs> with long democratic anyway. institutions? I mean, you really have to think of like a Hugo Chavez. You know, Idi, I mean, Idi Amin <laughs> is extreme because he was you know a genocidal nut as well as comical. Um, you know, Chavez is sort of more the kind of you know maybe the most immediate archetype in terms of being kind of comic in disposition, slightly authoritarian, ideologically flexible. Um, uh, you know, Berlusconi obviously has some of this because of the immense wealth. Uh, but you really, uh, gosh, you can't think of anyone like this really in American life. No, and, and I guess that the convention in Ohio, we won't have seen anything like that since. Well, I mean, Trump, of course, is threatening that if he doesn't get the nomination fairly, which, of course, means in his case, not even getting the requisite number of delegates, that there's going to be trouble. In which case, are we back to sort of 1968? Well, you know, I think you have to um, expect the possibility that it's going to be unseemly. There's been some some violence in his rallies already. I think you have emotions will be running very high if he's denied it or if he gets it. And that's just the Trump and the Republicans. I mean, lots of other groups will be there. The left will be there to demonstrate, too, and that will that will agitate things. So I, I'm the, the thing is, I, I think the I think the policing has gotten much better in the last 50 years. You know, I don't think you're going to have like a yeah. mayor daily tear gas, billy clubs kind of response to, to things. So I think that's the, uh, that's the upside here. Okay, Matt, now don't go away because we've got to take a commercial break, but we'll be back afterwards to talk about what is a sort of historic election in terms of providing surprises. Uh, so see you at the other side of the break. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show, 888-6-LESLIE. And before we get back to chatting with Matt Cooper about the current political situation between the GOP 
Uh, let me remind you that if you want to take part in this conversation, uh, that's easy. You just call 888-653-7543. That's 888-653-7543. Or if easier to remember, 886-LESLIE, L-E-S-L-I-E. And uh, we look forward to your calls. So, uh, Matt, before we wander off completely from the GOP, because it's hard to remember in this uh, electoral time, but uh, there are two parties running. The other one seems so quiet, uh, comparatively, uh, compared to the, the screaming and shouting which is happening on the Republican side. But the, uh, the delegates, I think, is, is the whole race is going to confuse uh, watchers. It's all going to be transparent, of course, but the delegates who get to Cleveland, Ohio, they're bound, is this right, they're bound only on the very first vote. Uh, that's my understanding. And, of course, the big difference between the two parties, uh, Nicholas, is the Democrats have these superdelegates. They're not elected by the people. They're they're just party officials. And that was meant to give, uh, you know, the insiders a, a, a leg up in the whole process. And they're overwhelmingly for Hillary now. Bernie's trying to peel them off, but um, he's going to have a hard time doing that. Yeah, the math just doesn't work out for him, does he? I mean, maybe if he'd uh, got the energy a bit earlier. Uh, certainly the superdelegates in Hillary's pockets, they've been in there for months, I mean, if not years. Uh, these are people that the Hillary's of, that the Clintons, both Bill and Hillary, have effectively bought off one way or another, haven't they? They've befriended. Uh, and so... Sure. In, would you say? Yeah, no, absolutely, Nicholas. You got it right. And, you know, Bernie has only been a Democrat in, in name for a few months. He's been an independent uh, senator. Uh, he's run against Democrats most of his career. Um, he's just not a, a party guy the way she is. And so that gives her a big advantage with these superdelegates. Plus, she's winning more races. So, you know, the, the math there doesn't add up. I think she would have to really just collapse here in these last couple of months. And, and, and I'm not seeing any sign of that. Yeah, so, so that leads to the question, what do you think's in it for Bernie to keep pressing ahead? The fact is that we've seen this movie, and actually Bernie loses in the end because of the proportional system. Uh, there's no winner-take-all states around the corner. It's not as if New York or California could drop in his lap. It's going to be incremental, so it's going to be very slow. It, there's no sign at all that Hillary's giving up. She's got the African-Americans, she's got the Hispanics, she's got the women in her pocket. Uh, so what would you guess is Bernie's game right now, Matt? Well, um, I think it's it's to it's to influence the direction of her campaign and the direction of the party, and he's done pretty well at that. She's it's cliche, but it's true. She has moved to the left um, uh, as a result of this pressure, and um, he's having an effect that way. And she needs uh, you know his people to be out there in the fall and to be enthusiastic uh, to prevail. Um, and so she can't afford to alienate him. Uh, she has to keep them fairly close. And, um, you know, I think that will be reflected in the party's platform, in the issues she emphasizes, and in her choice of a vice presidential nominee. But you'd guess that they've already, behind the scenes, started talking about exactly how Bernie should uh, duck out, or, or it's too early to tell. I, I don't think so. I think in part because of Hillary's own history in this regard. You know, she chased Obama to the nomination all the way through the spring of 2008, and one thing that really stuck in Hillary's craw and the uh, that of those around her was this idea that she should drop out. Like she kept winning primaries and they kept saying, okay, you're prolonging it, drop out. And uh, her attitude was, no, I'm not dropping out. I'm still winning and I can win this thing. 
And I think they've been very, I think wisely, been very careful not to pressure Bernie overtly or even under, uh, behind the scenes to get out of this thing soon. So I think any conversations like that are going to come at the very end. And do you think that he's holding out for a job or want to be on the ticket or a, or a special no, place in the convention he, I, I or something? He knows that the, um, they're just too old to run as a ticket um, and too incompatible to run together. Um, no, and I don't think a cabinet job would be better than the uh, job being a U.S. senator. So, no, I think I think it's more about just being the man who kind of reshaped the Democratic Party, and uh, I, I think he wants that to be his his calling card here. Yeah, and he's got a long job ahead of him, hasn't he? If he's taking democratic socialism seriously, as someone who grew up in a country which had a democratic socialist party you could vote for without getting worried about somehow they're going to confiscate everything, uh, democratic socialism is a long haul. And in most countries where any form of democratic socialism has arrived, it's taken, ooh, best part of a century, if not longer. So uh, in this case, he and I guess Elizabeth Warren, which we haven't spoken about, uh, will work very hard to nudge the Democratic Party, which is, if you come from Europe anyway, it's a conservative party. But it needs to be exactly. nudged a little further left than it is already. That's, uh, you know, that is his goal. And I think in terms of, you know, within the party, um, you know, in terms of the kind of, um, especially among the youth, which is where the energy of a party is going to be, um, you know, he's prevailing. I think um, the arguments uh, Hillary is posing against him are primarily that it's, uh, you know, that his ideas can't pass, not that democratic socialism is a bad idea. And so, um, you know, he's, he's doing pretty well in that contest. Uh, but we know these people are pretty – I say these people. We're talking about young millennials who are supporting uh, Bernie in the same way that they supported uh, Barack Obama uh, four and eight years ago, but, but particularly eight years ago. They're not very good at turning out two years later, though, are they? Uh, that's, I guess, the anxiety about having such uh, well, right, enthusiasm. Exactly. I mean, they, they really did come out for Obama in those primaries in 2008 and especially in the general election. They're not really coming out in, in huge, huge – Obama-like numbers now for Bernie, and I think uh, Democrats have to be uh, worried that they're going to, you know, sit on their hands in the fall uh, when you really do need them to show up. Mm. It does, uh, would would uh, Elizabeth Warren's endorsement, I guess, as late as she can possibly make it to Hillary, uh, will that make a difference in terms of the young, enthusiastic lefties? Yeah, I think it'll help a bit. I mean, sure, and and it will come. I mean, she's not going to not endorse the Democratic nominee. I mean, she's she has to live in the Democratic Party too, uh, and you know, and Bernie will endorse at some point. It's just a question of you know. What, Matt, uh, enough. What We've had a great conversation. I can't thank you enough. We've got to go straight to break now. Leslie Marshall, real people, real life, real talk. 8886 Leslie. Okay, welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. Uh, uh, Leslie is elsewhere this afternoon. My name is Nicholas Wapshot, and I'm the opinion editor of Newsweek. And uh, welcome to the show. We've uh, got lots to talk about. Uh, starting off, we need to get to a caller. Uh, Michael has called in from the Bronx, and he's got, uh, he wants to say he, he's got a correction to make. So let's, Michael, if you're there, let's hear what you have to say. Hey, how you doing? Can you hear me okay? Hear you perfectly. Okay. Ooh, it's raining out here, too. But right, there's a problem. 
with um, your guest was mentioning about the protests in terms of um, the Trump rallies and saying that the police are getting a bit better without the bully clubs and so forth and so on. And did I hear that correctly? I think that what he was suggesting was that we're not going to get a repeat of Mayor Daly's 1968 sort of thug fest and that the cops have to pay more attention nowadays, not least because everybody has a camera with them. I think that's the point he was making. Well, I, I, I beg to differ because being here in New York City, uh, we're still having problems with equal protest and equal compliance with the First Amendment when it comes to protesting police brutality, when it comes to protesting against um, against um, Wall Street, you know, you remember the Occupy protests. I can go back to even the protesting in the GOP convention that was here in New York City some time ago. I mean, the thing is, is that if you go to a rally like Donald Trump's and want to correct him on something, he'll get the cops after you or have one of his security people, he's going to say, take him out, get him out of here, rough him up and all that stuff. And yeah. the thing is that I heard some GOPs say that why don't Democrats hold their own rallies? No Republicans ever interrupted them. And that is false because you're still being met by police um, who are under orders from a GOP official, be it mayor, like what we had here in New York City, Giuliani, or even Bloomberg for that matter. If you were protesting against then-President George W. Bush, you're protesting against Wall Street, you're protesting against uh, police brutality. Yeah. Any, yeah. Any? I, I, I get it, Michael. The... The, I, th I think that what we're talking about here is, and we just don't know enough. I mean, I don't know what the, the cops are like in Cleveland, Ohio, Ohio what their reputation is. Uh, Ohio, of course, has had very bad reputation in all sorts of respects. But uh, the Republican Party won't want to see fighting on the streets, uh, as uh, happened in 1968 in Chicago, because it's bad for the whole party. So I would guess that they will try very hard for it not to happen. But if it's anyone else but Trump who's selected as the candidate, I think that you can certainly expect some fireworks. Certainly, Mr. Trump has been threatening that. Now then, uh, off to uh, an, another guest, uh, a very distinguished guest this time. Uh, not that Matt Cooper wasn't, uh, but Ira Stoll is a former colleague of mine on the New York Sun, that extraordinary experiment in hard copy newspapers. And uh, we got to know each other very well there. And he happens to know an enormous about, amount about conservatism altogether. So I've got some questions in this most puzzling of GOP races, particularly. Uh, Ira, first of all, welcome. Um, Good to be here. Um, what sort of conservative would you call Donald Trump? Well, uh, he's a conservative of a sort that we haven't seen recently. He dates back to an earlier time. Probably the closest thing that we've seen to it recently was uh, Pat Buchanan, who really uh, was a serious factor. It's been 20 years uh, now since uh, Pat Buchanan, the former Reagan speechwriter, really uh, challenged uh, George H.W. Bush. I think that was 1990, 1988. Oh, my God. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, uh, make me feel old. Um, but, um, and even before that, uh, going back, uh, Trump has talked in interviews uh, to, to 
likened himself to Eisenhower or even before that to uh, kind of Robert Taft sort of figure. Uh, he, he uses the phrase, an America first foreign policy, which resonates with, uh, well, y- y- you you uh, wrote the book about um, about uh, about Churchill, right? Or the American isolationism um, in the run-up to World War II. Um, this idea of America first, uh, that that uh, we've gone too far under George W. Bush in intervening in places like Iraq and trying to solve the world world's problems, and that we need to focus uh, more on what's best for America, and that means keeping Mexicans out, keeping Muslims out, and uh, it's it's a kind of hunkered down uh, conservatism. And it's also pretty sort of feral, isn't it? I mean, you're a distinguished intellectual conservative. Uh, and aren't you alarmed by the way that somebody can, wasn't even a Republican the day before yesterday who just wanders in and, uh, and takes the whole party by the scruff of the neck? It's, it's almost as if he, he's kidnapped the party in a way by not being serious about those conservative values and so on that you hold so dear. Yeah, well, uh, you know, I... I, the whole definition of conservatism is an interesting question, right? Uh, and and the more, the more Trump takes it over, the more I personally am inclined to to backpedal away from it, and you know, instead use the term like classical liberal or free market, or um, you, you know, that there's a there's a kind of liberal internationalist mainstream liberal in the sense of um being concerned about human rights and and um and just the fate of people around the world i mean you see america declaring that there's a genocide going on now in syria and iraq under isis and um you know in a way trump See, he sounds almost like Bernie Sanders in in saying that really sort of shrugging and saying America it's not America's business to do anything about that. And uh I don't know if it's conservative or or uh extreme left wing. Uh it's 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 uh and he's the same way on trade. I mean that trade uh this is kind of respectable free trade, uh, mainstream American consensus from Bill Clinton and NAFTA and George W. Bush tried to do free trade agreements with the Central uh, Central America. Uh, a lot of Republicans supported NAFTA as well, and uh, Trump and Sanders want to renegotiate these agreements. So I, I'm not sure if conservative is the right word for it. It's 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 just something. Uh, it's very nationalist. Very, um, I, I think it's kind of ugly myself. Yeah, it's it's been a horrible thing to watch. Although, you know, like everyone else, from behind the sofa, I peer at it and just can't believe what I'm seeing or hearing. I mean, who would, who would ever have guessed that penis size would be, you know, a, a legitimate topic in a Republican debate in any circumstance? This is just bizarre to me. Uh, but now, so let's get to the nitty gritty. Uh, what's your best guess of what's going to happen when we get to the convention in Ohio? Do you think that he will have sneaked across the line and just had just enough? Or do you think that it's going to be an all-out broker convention with sort of arm wrestling and hand wrestling going on at every turn? I think he'll 
either have just enough or he'll have just close enough to just enough to make it be so outrageous for the party to try to take it away from him that, uh, you know, between his vice presidential pick and a certain amount of um, arm twisting. I mean, remember, Trump has been surprisingly good, starting with getting Chris Christie's endorsement um, and, and including Ben Carson in bringing along some of these other Republican figures. Um, but in, in, and who knows what he's promising them behind the scenes. But, you know, if, if uh, some of these power brokers who, if, if he's just shy of the required number of delegates and some of these power brokers who have delegates committed to them or have influence with certain pools of delegates can be convinced to help make the difference, you know, they'll be in a position to extract some promises of, of, of future goodies in a prospective Trump administration. And, uh, you know, if Trump is nothing else but a deal maker and he, 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 he wants it badly enough to certainly be willing to, to make some of those promises. Yeah, this all makes perfect sense, Ira. And I don't go away because we're going to come back to you. We need to take a commercial break. And I also need to re remind all the listeners that if you'd like to take part in the conversation, if you hear anything that Ira says you want to take issue with or me or what anybody, uh, or make a point of your own, it's 888-653-7543. You are listening to The Leslie Marshall Show, and I'm sitting in. My name's Nicholas Wapshot, and I'm the opinion editor of Newsweek. See you the other side of the break. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show, 888-6-LESLIE. Swap shot, I'm uh, the opinion editor of Newsweek, standing in. Uh, I've been talking to Ira Stoll, who's a very interesting guy. Uh, he is the editor of futureofcapitalism.com. He is a widespread syndicated columnist, always interesting. He's never been capable of writing an uninteresting sentence, as far as I know. And his most recent book is JFK Conservative. And so you can probably tell. Uh, if, you'll hear some original thinking from Ira. You're not going to hear the same old, same old. Uh, so... Ira, let's get back to the, the interesting convention. You would have thought that after everything that's been said on both sides, and I, I think this is unprecedented, and maybe in the 19th century, even in the 18th century, they were you know, said wicked things to each other, but now broadcast to everybody so that the whole nation hears exactly what they've said. And they've behaved like school children quite often. Uh, Mr. Trump hasn't helped it. He's brought the, the level of dialogue to a new low, I would guess. But do you think that it's possible to heal this party and put it back together when there are at least two, if not three, separate sides, all of who've said things that you'd imagine they would never allow them to reconcile themselves with uh, Mr. Trump? Well, I'm not sure it's quite as unprecedented as everyone, you know, thinks it is. I, I, I remember uh, back in 1980, George H.W. Bush calling Reagan's economic plan voodoo economics, and then Reagan turned around and picked Bush as his vice presidential running mate. I uh, remember the Clinton-Obama uh, campaign in 2008 got 
quite nasty and heated. Uh, you know, uh, Obama was asked if Hillary was likable. He kind of shrugged and made a face and said, likable enough. Uh, yeah. and, and, and then she turned out to be his secretary of state. So, uh, you know, it's in the interest of a general election victory for Trump, which he wants, to, to get this party unified and to get this stuff uh, worked up. And remember, the worst that Trump does in the general election, the worse all the down-ticket candidates, the Senate candidates, the congressional candidates, the governor's candidates, the worse all, all they do for the Republican Party. So there's a, there's a strong interest among Republicans, even if they don't like Trump, to see him do well enough that the, even if he loses, it's not a total and complete disaster. Yeah, that, well, I'm not, I suppose it depends on the tenor of the convention, and the convention could either be you know, benign or it could be ugly. Uh, it might be all parts in between, of course, but uh, the prospect of a convention where Mr. Trump's already said that it, if he's not treated fairly, I mean, it, he more or less, wasn't your understanding, he was sort of threatening that there's going to be a rumpus. Let's Riot, no riot more than that. is the term that he used. He said there would be riots or there could be riots or there would yeah, be Yeah, that's, that's tough stuff, isn't it? Um, well, I think it's probably accurate. I mean, if he got the most votes and is 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 very close to the number of of delegates required by the rules, if they try to take it away from him and give the nomination to somebody either who got a lot fewer votes, even when they went to head to head, uh, or decided not to run. Uh, you know, I think there'd be some justification in, in, in Trump people getting upset. That doesn't mean he's owed the nomination if he doesn't have the required number of delegates, but it does mean that there's a, a high, high bar, a high standard for the, um, the rules on taking it away from them. And I, I think also it's going to be determined somewhat by what these head-to-head poll numbers show of him versus Hillary Clinton. If he's still losing to Hillary by 10 percentage points in the polls uh, when the convention approaches, uh, you know, I think, he, I think he, he might be nervous. And I think that the party leaders will be thinking hard about, you know, if there's a way for them legally to prevent him from getting the nomination. If that narrows a, a little bit, and let's just sorry, let's, let's sorry to interrupt you. Let's just remind ourselves exactly what Donald Trump said about the convention. If uh, if he thought the Republicans weren't playing according to the rules or doing it fairly, whatever that means. Yes, I think we'll win before getting to the convention. But I can tell you, if we didn't, and if we're twenty votes short, or if we're if we're you know a hundred short. And we're at 1,100 and somebody else is at 500 or 400 because we're way ahead of everybody. I don't think you can say that we don't get it automatically. I think it would be, I think you'd have riots. I think you'd have riots. You know, we have, we're, I'm representing a tremendous, many, many millions of people. In many cases, first-time voters. These are people that haven't voted because they never believed in the system. They didn't like candidates, et cetera, et cetera, that are 40 and 50 and 60 years old. And they've never voted you, before. Many, many of those people, many Democrats, many independents coming in. That's what the big story is, really, Chris. I mean, the really big story is how many people are voting in these primaries. The, the numbers are astronomical. Now, if you disenfranchise those people, 
and you say, well, I'm sorry, but you're 100 votes short, even though the next one is 500 votes short, I think you would have problems like you've never seen before. Well, I think, I think it would, I think bad things would happen. I really do. I believe that. I wouldn't lead it, but I think bad things would happen. Well, uh, bad things. I mean, it sounds like a, a veiled threat to me. And if you look back, you know, Ronald Reagan was pipped by George H.W. Bush. He, he never threatened any such thing. Barry Goldwater, for goodness sake, you know, the outsider's outsider. Uh, he had uh, enormous trouble in his day uh, just getting recognized at all as a, a proper conservative, how the world's changed. But he never threatened any violence. I think that we are in new territory, Ira. Well, look, I'm not I'm not here to defend Donald Trump. He's perfectly capable of defending himself. But, <laughs> you know, uh, I think it's difficult to argue the alternative. Uh, you know, who else deserves the nomination? The nomination? Cruz, who got fewer votes and fewer delegates than Trump? Kasich, who's managed to win so far just his home state? Uh Marco Rubio, who uh, or Jeb Bush, who got a lot of uh, donations from from Wall Street types, but who haven't won any votes. Uh, you know, I, I just I Paul Ryan, maybe the Speaker of the House. If Paul Ryan wanted to be president, he should have run, uh, but he yeah. didn't. And and Donald Trump has been out there on the campaign trail uh, at some at some personal risk. Uh, Millions, tens of millions of Americans have voted for him. He's drawing huge crowds. Many people who were never, uh, never voted or never were voted Republican before. And you know, for for some Washington insider to come in and uh, take it, or for, for for a bunch of Washington politicians and donors to come in and take it away from Trump and give it to one of their buddies. You know, what what's the case for that? I don't see it. And and if that happened, do you think that that would be worse for the Republican Party to have somebody imposed upon them because it genuinely would split in two? So what you're saying is that it's sort of Trump or nothing in a way, isn't it? Well, I, I mean, I, I'm not looking at it so much from the from the perspective of what's best for the Republican Party. They can decide that. But, you know, what what's best for the... What's best for the country? What's best for what's best for democracy? I, 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 what's fair? I, I just don't. I don't just don't see why we have elections. It's a democracy. Uh, you know, usually the person who wins the most votes um, wins the most states, uh, wins the most delegates. Uh, they win. Absolutely. Okay, this is Iris Stoll. He's the editor of futureofcapitalism.com, the author of JFK Conservative, and a widely syndicated columnist and the smartest uh, conservative that I know. Uh, one final thing, just uh, before I let you go, Ira. Uh, what do you think of this idea about letting people at the convention carry guns into the convention hall? Well, I think it's a clever suggestion. I can't quite tell if it's a suggestion of the uh, Republican pro-gun types or of the Democrats who are uh, very effectively mocking the Republicans and seeing if they're willing to uh, follow their principles when it comes to putting themselves at risk. I mean, the Republicans claim that people are safer with guns because they can use them to protect themselves. Uh, if they really believe that, then uh, 
good luck to them in this uh, in this arena where anybody who walks in is able to carry a weapon. Uh, thanks, thanks, Trump's thanks, Hunter. You've been, been a great a guest. I can't thank you enough. Bye bye. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show, 888-6-LESLIE. The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. the Spencer Davis group reminding everybody that I'm the man and Leslie isn't. Uh, anyway, this is Nicholas Wapshot from the, I'm the opinion editor of Newsweek and I'm standing in for uh, Leslie Marshall this afternoon. She's very happily vacated her slot to let me uh, talk to some people, which is very nice of her. Uh, we've got a very interesting guy coming up uh, because he's someone who actually reports politics. So people like me just think about politics or read about or watch politics but this guy actually goes out and asks people questions and prods them in the uh, the chest and gets them to tell the truth and he's uh, taylor wofford and he's from newsweek and uh, taylor it's good to have you this afternoon hey nicholas thanks for having me yeah the just before we get on to the the business of talking about business uh, what i ought to do is to remind everybody so if they'd like to call into the show it's 888-653-7543 888-653-7543 or if it's easier for you to remember 8886 leslie l e s l i e so uh taylor what is the most interesting thing that you've discovered over the last few days about the, uh, this extraordinary race that we're in at the moment? Uh, well, I think uh, the most interesting thing for me, at least, is the, the fight in the run-up to the Republican convention in July. Um, for a while, it seemed like uh, Donald Trump was definitely going to be the nominee, and now it seems like maybe uh, there at least is a, a strategy uh, being concocted to prevent that from happening, and it, it may be successful. Uh, just at the moment, could you put a, a gauge on it? I mean, what, what, are the, what are the odds of Trump being the candidate in the end? And well, what are the odds are, of say Cruz or, or someone else? I'd say, I'd say Trump is probably about 60% odds that, that he'll get it and 40% that he won't. But again, and, that's if, just my guess. and if he doesn't get it, uh-huh. uh, that's going to cause enormous trouble in Cleveland, Ohio, isn't it? We've just been talking with Ira Stoll about it, who's been playing it down. But my sense is that if you deprive Trump and his supporters, not least because he's urged people to cause a riot, if uh, that's the case, that mm-hmm. Cleveland is going to be one of those sort of stepping stones in, in uh, bad political behavior. Well, he certainly wants, uh, he certainly wants people to think that that's what will happen uh, if, if somehow he does not become the nominee. But I think it really depends on if he doesn't become the nominee, I think it depends on how he doesn't become the nominee. Um, if it's through a, a simple delegate lead, um, as you know, he needs 1,237 pledged delegates to become or to clinch the nomination. 
Uh, and if he gets less than that, then it goes into a scenario where there could be an open convention or a contested convention. Uh, if he if he doesn't get those, or if some other candidate, if, well, Ted Cruz gets those because John Kasich can at this point, uh, if Ted Cruz gets that number of delegates, then I don't think his followers will really have a, a, a case to make that he should not be the nominee. But again, that's that will be really hard for Ted Cruz to actually beat Donald Trump in, in sheer delegate numbers. His 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 best path is to prevent Trump from getting that number of delegates so that there might be an open convention. So the most likely case then, you would guess, or I'm putting it to you, is that Trump gets in or around a thousand, say. He might get a little more or might mm-hmm. get a little, a little less. bit more probably. But it's so self evidently ahead of Cruz mm-hmm. that Correct. he, he he, in terms of fairness, it would look really horrible if it was depri- if it was taken away from him at this late stage. Is that right? Well, uh, it might. It might. He certainly is convincing his his followers that you know that would be an unfair outcome. The Republican National Convention has, for a couple of weeks now, been sort of emphasizing that uh, these are the rules, and even if you do get uh, the most delegates, if you don't win a majority of delegates. Uh, the, the, the nomination can be taken away from you, and they've been sort of trying to sell this point in the media, presumably so that if Trump gets the most delegates but not a majority, uh, and he ends up not receiving the nomination, that his followers won't either just stay home. Well, presumably they'll just stay home, uh, I think is what the fear is. Yeah. Uh, so t- tell me, do you think that it's more or less likely that Trump – will you you think he will be the the nominee this time don't you uh, i think he has a better chance than any anyone else of, of becoming the nominee certainly if he is not the nominee it will be um it will require a series of unlikely things to happen not that they can't happen but they are unlikely and there are a series of them that need to happen um ted cruz will have to poll better or he'll have to perform better than he's been polling in certain places um and he will also have to convince uh, a, a not insignificant number of the delegates themselves to switch, uh, switch their allegiances at the convention. And so if uh, Trump is the nominee, after everything he said about, and we can run through the list of what we consider to be gaffes, but, mm-hmm. but he obviously is happy with his positions, starting with Mexicans being drug dealers, uh, all the way through John McCain, uh, the anti-women, the anti-abortion, the anti-Hispanic, the anti-African-American. Is it at all possible that he could win with uh, such a small group of people supporting him? Um, I mean, anything's possible, but no. Uh, yeah. the, uh, I, I read a, a very good piece in Politico recently um, that calculated if Trump is to become the president, he has to win the votes of seven in ten white men um, who are among his, his strongest constituencies. And uh, not even Ronald Reagan uh, performed that well with white men. So he would have to really, uh, because, because there are so many demographics where he, he polls so poorly, especially uh, voters of color, uh, women, um, he has to win an, a, a, an, just an extremely large number of his core constituents, which are, are generally older white males. Uh, and yeah. he would have to do that in a way that really no politician has ever done before, which, you know, anything's possible. We never thought Trump would, would get this far. But statistically, it seems quite unlikely that, that he could win. What's more, you're going to have a party, which is, if, it, if the conversations are anything uh, to do with it, uh, are going 
I mean, can anybody put the offence that Cruz has felt about the, the remarks and the photograph of his wife, put it back in the box? He doesn't seem the forgiving sort to me. And I think a lot of conservatives, too, are probably a bit uh, starchier than Trump and uh, don't like his, you know, three divorces and his New York lifestyle, too. So a lot of the Republican Party is going to be missing come November, aren't they? They're just not going to cough up the cash and then go out and work for him, are they? Well, that's yeah. I mean, that's a big uh, concern of of the National Committee and of Paul Ryan's. Um, I think I think that it kind of depends on uh, where you stand. I mean, I think most of these people would probably most of these conservatives would probably prefer a Trump presidency to a Hillary Clinton presidency. I don't think they'd prefer it by that much, but they might prefer it by a little bit. Um, and I think most of them, at least, probably think that uh, Donald Trump is at least somewhat malleable. Um, I think Paul Ryan has has said this, if not publicly, then in, in, in private in a memo that leaked or something like that, that he would like to sit down with Trump and sort of explain the Republican Party positions to him, and that if he were able to do that, he could probably get Trump on board with more of these conservative ideals. Um, so I think that they're their sort of best bet is to sit down with him and try to essentially coach him into being more conservative. Uh, Okay. Uh, Now, Taylor, don't go away because I need to talk to you for a very long time. Uh, So don't disappear. Uh, But we have a call to take from Paul in Washington, who's got uh, some thoughts that come out of the conversations we've been having about the the problem that the GOP finds itself in. So, Paul? Oh, yes. Uh, good afternoon, gentlemen. Uh, I, I think the fascinating part, really, that's, that's kind of uh, comical from my point of view, is that after seven-plus years of a president in Barack Obama that the Republicans have said is the worst president we've ever had, they are incapable of coming up with a nominee who can get a majority of the delegates. And even if Trump does get the majority, we've got the, part, the party in out-and-out civil war to take it away from him and it's just it strikes me as big that they had they've had all this time yet their whole strategy their only strategy seems to have from the very beginning from january 20th of 2009 was to uh, the famous caucus room conspiracy was to obstruct this president's agenda yet they can come up with no one and they've had 17 applicants I mean, if you had a, a top CEO, a top a corporate executive position open, and you had 17 applicants and couldn't come up with one <laughs> of them to be your choice, I'd say you're, something's wrong with your corporation. This is the party that – can you take them seriously? I do. Very good points made, Paul. Uh, terrific points because it's uh, well because it's what I happen to believe. I think that I mean it, it's un- it's unforgivable that uh, they've had all of this long and they've railed personally ad hominem against this president, and yet here's the chance to replace him. And actually, what they're going to do is to find a precedent by allowing uh, a two-term president to be replaced by another Democrat, which will be fascinating. Anyway, I've, we've got to go to a commercial break. Thanks very much, Paul, and see you on the other side of it. Mm-hmm. Leslie Marshall, The Simple Truth in a Complicated World. 888-6-LESLIE.
to the Leslie Marshall Show. This is Nicholas Wapshot standing in for Leslie this afternoon. Uh, you can follow me on at nwapshot, W-A-P-S-H-O-T-T, on Twitter, or take a look at the opinion section of Newsweek, if you will. Uh, just go to the Newsweek site, newsweek.com, and go to the opinion section, and have a look at the uh, – I'm a pluralist, so I, I take opinions as long as they're interesting and well-written from all sides. And talking of interesting opinions, we are talking to uh, James in Washington, D.C. Uh, are you still there? Hello? Ooh. No, Paul. Paul, I'm so sorry. It's Paul. Right. I'm there. Are you there? Oh, there. Yes, I am here now. I, 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 okay. I tell me this. Uh, because, I mean, in a way, it's easy to look at the, the train wreck that is uh, the GOP at the moment. Is there any way that, uh, say, uh, Bernie might hold on too long and upset Hillary's chances? I don't mean that he's going to overtake her. I don't think that's possible. But... Do you get a sense that actually it's time to wind up Bernie now, or do you think it's still doing good to the party uh, for them to be divided at uh, this stage? Oh, I think it's a good thing. I think Bernie's got to stay until the end because I think <clears throat> he's got he's got to function. He can't. He, he has more to accomplish. Uh, though it would be my choice. I mean, I support Bernie. Um, actually, I, I support either one because I like them both for different reasons. Um, but I think. And if it were the other way around, if, if Hillary were in Bernie's position, I would expect her to hang in there because they both have something to contribute and must contribute once the process, the nomination process, is finished. So, um, but the so yeah, I do I do think Bernie needs to hang in there, um, and obviously because the it is close. Although I know the projections are that Hillary Clinton will will be the nominee, it will will certainly gather the the majority of, of delegates necessary. Forget the um, the super delegates, but in terms of uh, one delegates during the state. The other thing is, I, I think about the Republicans, which uh, I was going to finish that point, is that now when they're talking about their brokered convention and who would they choose, one of the names you hear is is Paul Ryan. And I laughed about that when I heard that, because remember when he, when he, dis, when he assumed the speakership, he said that he wasn't going to, he wasn't going to do all this. He wasn't going to do all the grunt work of the speaker's office. He wasn't going to do all the traveling and all the things that John Boehner was going to do, because he had you know, lots of family things that he wanted to, to, to tend to. So for him to, so he's in a sense already said he really doesn't want a job like the President of the United States, where he certainly would have to do lots of traveling and have lots of time away from the family in, in that regard. So the names they've bandied about in terms of uh, hopeful, you know, replacements for Trump uh, seem like people who, in, a, in one sense or another, already said they don't want the job. I think if Trump, if they were to displace Trump, at this point, the Republicans would stand to lose every state that Trump won in the primaries already. I would stand to lose those states because I don't think those voters will, will stand for it. I don't think they would go ahead and vote for whomever the party decided to, to select instead. Yeah, that could well be true. It's, I, I must say, watching it happen almost in slow-mo. I mean, the, these weeks can't go fast enough. Do you remember the bad old days when Super Tuesday settled everything? Well, that was some many Tuesdays ago now. <laughs> so we are in a very strange thing. Now, uh, Taylor, you're still there, I hope. Yep. Yeah. Um, tell me, why we're looking at the Democratic race briefly, uh, do, you, do you get any sense that, uh, that Bernie's about to pack up his tent and go home, or do you think he's in it for the long haul? In which case, what, what's the purpose of doing it? 
Uh, I think I think he will stay in it until the convention, and I think he will do that in order to keep dragging Hillary to the left on issues that he cares about. Um, as long as he's in it, uh, you know, as long as he can keep debating her, he can keep getting her up on stage and and you know making her forcing her to to make concessions to the the more liberal elements of the party. Um, one of the things he did at one of these previous debates, I think it was debate the debate in Las Vegas, um, both. Both Clinton and Sanders uh, pledged that they would not uh, break up families as part of the deportation process, um, which before had not been Hillary Clinton's position. Um, she she shifted a little bit to the left on that, and I think that was as a result of, of pressure from Bernie Sanders. So I don't think, I mean, I can't get inside his head, obviously, but I don't think he thinks he can win, but I think he probably thinks that he can make Hillary Clinton a candidate more to his liking by staying in the race for as long as possible. Well, she's already conceded a number of uh, important uh, pieces of policy, hasn't she? Can you think that – is there anything else that you think that sort of Bernie has on his checklist that he'd like her to also agree to before he finally gives in? Or Uh, at this stage, (laughs) is it just a matter of uh, wills? Because after all, if he's going to stay in for the long haul and we know that Hillary's going to win, it's – there's nothing in it for her to give any more concessions to the left, is there? Well, that's true, but, uh, you know, it's harder for her because most of the Democratic primary voters uh, tend to be more liberal as, as Republican primary voters tend to be more conservative. So um, she, in order to please these people during the primary, she has to move a little bit to the left. You know, she can't, she can't say certain things that would fly in a general election because those things won't fly in the primary. Um, for his check checklist, I'd say he probably has, um, I mean, I know he wants her to disclose those speeches she gave to Goldman Sachs. I know he wants that. He wants campaign finance reform. Um, the environment is another issue uh, that, that he cares about a lot. Um, I, think, I think those are the big ones um, that he's been really pushing her on recently. Yeah, I can't see any movement, I must say. I'm not quite, quite sure what would be in it for her to do any – she can sound more green. Yeah, I mean, on campaign finance anything. reform especially, I think now, it would be kind of tough for her, given the amount of money she's accepted from, from various places. Um, I guess she could give it back. <laughs> and she's not going to do that. The uh, – the, uh, well, uh, it's, it, it strikes me that we're in a – well, interesting period. I'll get back to you, uh, Taylor, because we've got other things to discuss. Mm-hmm. Uh, but right now, we've got to go to a break. And so, uh, at, well, in, at least in 20 seconds. So let me just remind you. Uh, somebody said, uh, in fact, it was uh, Ira who asked who I was. Well, I wrote a book called uh, Franklin Roosevelt, uh, The Isolationists and the Road to World War Two, which was the Sphinx. And that's my most recent book. And uh, so that answers that question from that person who wanted to know. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show, 888-6-LESLIE. Welcome back to the Leslie Marshall Show. Uh, this is Nicholas Wapshot, the opinion editor of Newsweek, and I'm standing in for Leslie today. Uh, this is the last half hour. It seems to go so quickly. We've had some great guests. We've got Taylor Wofford on the line. He's the a political reporter for Newsweek who actually goes out and finds stuff instead of uh, people like me who think it all up. Uh, So we're most grateful to him. We've got a poll running on Twitter at the moment asking how likely it is that Donald Trump will win the GOP nomination after his tough week. Uh, 
Well, the, there's still time to get into this poll, so I'm not sure whether I should taint you with the results so far, but here they are anyway. More than 50% likely that he will win the, the uh, nomination, 57%. So that strikes me that whatever he does, he's now on target to be that, as, as far as our readers and listeners are concerned. 43% less than 50%. So 47-43 that he's going to win it. After such a miserable week, you think that that would reflect something. Have you got any views on this, Taylor? Uh, well, uh, I mean, he has. I guess he still has momentum behind him. Um, I think it'll be a. I think it'll be a close run thing. I don't think he'll he'll run away with it if he gets it. Um, but I do think he has to. Uh, he'll have to perform uh, unpredictably badly in in some key states. So there's definitely. I mean, there's definitely a possibility that he could do that. He needs to perform really well in California. Um, and traditionally in states like California, which are uh, large and diverse, he hasn't performed great. So he'll have to, he might have to pull some upsets to, to win it, but I still think it's likely that he will. Yeah, it's, uh, I guess it's, now we're coming up to two races which are very important, which usually you don't hear very much about during the primary season because it comes too late. But because this is so tight on the GOP side anyway, the New York race is going to be fascinating, isn't it? Because you're going to have sort of fake general election because you're going to have Trump trying to get the Republicans out. But you've also got Hillary and Bernie trying to get the both home states or one adopted, but both home states. So all three of these yeah. people think they're going to do pretty well in New York. Do you get any intelligence about the way this race is running for either side? Well, I mean, we can look at the polls. They mostly show Hillary up on the Democratic side, um, which is is not great for Bernie. He needs to he needs to win uh, New York by about I think fifteen points or so if he wants to uh, be on track to win the nomination, which I I don't think he's going to do. Um, and it also just generally looks bad because he's from here, and and if you don't win your home state, which technically Vermont is is Bernie Sanders' home state, but he also. Uh, has roots in New York, so if, if he doesn't win here, that that doesn't look good for him. Uh, especially, I mean, if he if he can't win New York uh, in a primary election, if he can't win, then the what about what uh, about on the Trump side? Um, I haven't looked at the polling for that race recently. Uh, I imagine Donald Trump is ahead just because he is the home state favorite, and because the other candidates uh, don't really perform or aren't of the type that would perform well here, let's say. Um, Ted Cruz has, has said bad things. Well, not bad things, but he, you know, he, he, uh, he talked about uh, Trump's New York values, which I'm sure uh, you know, some New Yorkers didn't appreciate. Um, so I can't see him, him, him doing particularly well in New York. Kasich might do okay here, but that's assuming he's still in the race by then, which who knows, he might not be. Yeah, uh, we've got another poll that I just want to bring you, an online poll on Twitter. The question was, should Republicans walk the walk on guns and allow open carry at GOP, the GOP convention in uh, Cleveland, Ohio, in uh, July? Well, so far, anyway, we've got 72% people saying, yes, they should allow guns. And... Uh, 28% say no. That's, that's a surprise. That's sort of two to one saying carry guns. On the other hand, you're never, not quite sure what the motivation is behind uh, polls like this. The fact is that uh, 
uh, if you were a Democrat, you might think that the more hijinks there is at uh, the convention, the better it is for the Democratic Party. And certainly, if everybody's going to be packing heat when they go in there to vote, and it's going to be a pretty steamy occasion anyway, because it may well be that no one gets quite the right number of votes, it would strike me as a recipe for disaster. But uh, I'm not quite sure who bounced the Republicans into having to consider this. But uh, if, it was a, if it was a Democrat, they did very well, because it's <laughs> obviously very embarrassing to them. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you don't want uh, any. Have you heard anything about? Sorry, sorry, Taylor, carry on. I was just going to say you don't want anybody to get hurt, but I guess it is kind of ironic. I don't know what the laws are in Cleveland for open carry. Uh, I'm assuming though that they have it if if they're petitioning to let the let them do it in uh, in the convention. Yeah, I think that must be the case. Hmm. Uh, which is well, it's so bizarre from from an urban New York point of view. Yeah. And th- th- that, uh, that sneaky aside, which uh, Ted Cruz said about New York values, of course, he, he never imagined for a second, I suppose, that he would need to get to New York. Uh, so yeah. he just uh, got, the, got the timing wrong there. But it's, uh, I, I know what he means. Uh, I mean, because, because it's been unpacked for me, and uh, I knew that it must have been a slight anyway. But I guess Donald Trump actually does represent New York values, doesn't he? He's actually, what we know about him is that he's actually rather a liberal guy. In many uh, yeah. respects, when he's not on the, on, you know, I mean, pro- yeah, I mean he's changed, as far as uh, we know, is actually what he, you know, it's, it's it, many of these positions, he's hardened up purely in order to look suitable for the party. Whereas five years ago, 10 years ago, he was thinking quite different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that does seem to be the case. A lot of his positions have uh, changed rather recently. His, uh, his position on abortion changed, I think, three times in three days. So um, that's, that's one area. He, he, I think at the end of his, uh, his shift, he decided that we should keep the abortion laws the way they are, which I think is a, a fairly New York value. Yeah, I would guess so. Uh, by the way, uh, my producer, Mark Grimaldi, has provided this information. Ohio is an open carry state, but the mm. Secret Service said they will not permit open carry at the convention. So there you are. Yeah. Uh, well. Probably. So we're not going to get that. Just as well. I mean, you know, it might have saved a life or two, including the candidates. I, I mean, Ira Stoll was making this point that actually the people who expect somehow like, I don't know that Paul Ryan does expect, but the people who are sort of waiting in the wings, waiting to pluck this prize away from Trump are in a very weird position, aren't they? Because there's, first of all, it's undemocratic. I mean, whatever... Trump has got more votes and more states than anyone else. And you'd think that he would at least have the sort of first return. You know, if it mm. isn't him, then it better be a good reason why. Well, I mean, I think both parties are a little bit inherently undemocratic. Um, you know, that they, they don't claim to be a, a democracy there. They are parties in a democracy. So, uh, you know, the, the, I think even the, the Democrats are a little bit uh, less democratic in their, in their decision-making process because they allow many more superdelegates um, the, 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 the reason why that is, or the, the reason that's given is because, uh, not all pri- some primaries are open, so independents can vote in them. So in, in any system where you have people who aren't members of the party coming in and voting for who the party's nominee is going to be, uh, you want some sort of safety valve or check, uh, with, where party leaders could step in in the event that there's, you know, something goes terribly awry, I guess. Yeah, I suppose it's true to say that uh, both parties, whichever way you look at it, because neither of them run a strict 
uh, one man, one vote, one woman, one vote, uh, mm-hmm. first past the post system. Whenever you start complicating things, whenever you have super delegates on the Democratic side, or when you have uh, winner takes all states instead of the uh, rather progressive mm-hmm. system, uh, the apportion- proportional system that you have in the Democratic side, uh, that, that it is a, it's imperfect. What can I say? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, Democracy uh, yeah, yeah. is imperfect, whichever system you choose. And uh, it, it always works out that uh, things can go terribly wrong. Uh, now, Taylor, what has your recent reporting been on? What have you been working on today? I'd like to know everything uh, a day in advance, if possible. Yeah, so today I, I wrote a piece uh, on uh, the Democratic National uh, Committee um, chairwoman, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who is a congresswoman from Florida. Uh, is facing a primary challenge down there. Her opponent uh, is a is a law professor. Uh, his name is Tim Canova. Um, Wasserman Schultz has has faced some criticism from the left recently, um, and her 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 reelection campaign down in Florida uh, has a lot of uh, peculiar sort of mirrors with the the contest between Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders. Yeah, where she appeared to have favored Hillary, isn't that right? Or at least that was the that understanding, was, was although the, she hotly denied it. Um, people allege that the timing of the various Democratic bait, debates, uh, putting them on weekends and, and uh, in the sort of off hours, uh, was intended to sort of help the Hillary Clinton campaign. Um, obviously, there's not any any evidence of that that has emerged. Um, but the, the, the Bernie Sanders campaign made that allegation uh, against uh, Congresswoman Wasserman Schultz. And so I've been writing about her, uh, her challenger, um, who released his fundraising statistics today. He raised, I think, uh, a little over half a million dollars in the first quarter of 2016. Um, this is actually the producer, Mark yeah. Taylor, and I had a question um, regarding that uh, story that you're reporting. I think one of the things that a lot of people have heard about anyway with these debates is, you know, like you said, the off nights, not only the, the amount of debates, but also the, the nights that they were held on. Um, you know, do you think that there's anything to this story based on your reporting? I know, you know, you can't really give your opinion necessarily on it, but um, it did seem peculiar that if, if you want to, you know, promote your candidates and, and the agenda that you would choose such a, you know, weird times to have these debates. Uh, the times did seem a bit peculiar, but again, there hasn't been any sort of uh, evidence that has emerged to indicate that they were purposefully put in, in, in odd times. Um, I mean, not all of the Republican debates have been at optimal times either. Um, the only, I mean, they're, they're, they're still fighting over, over debate times as of this today, actually. I think there was an agreement that they were going to have a New York debate, and then maybe there was a disagreement over what it was going to be, and there was a debate scheduled during the NCAA finals, so they decided to reschedule it. It's just been kind of a an ongoing sort of rolling disaster, though maybe that's a little bit too harsh for, for what it is. Nicholas, uh, I know you uh, wanted to rejoin there. We just had a drop in our microphone here, but Nicholas, I had asked um, Taylor about the uh, you know, accusations about the weird times of the debates uh, against Wasserman Schultz. But now I've, I've run us out of time. So, Nicholas, if you want to uh, send your wonderful guest off a farewell here. Uh, okay. Well, uh, thank you very much, Taylor. I can't thank you mm-hmm. enough for spending so much time with me and, and, and spilling yeah, the beans. Thanks. thanks. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of truth. The Leslie Marshall Show, 8886 Leslie.
Uh, Chauncey, I'm so glad to have you on because you wrote a fascinating piece in the Washington Spectator, which came a good bit of reporting because there you were in Illinois when things got nasty at a Trump rally. Could you tell me what happened? Yeah, I'm a resident of Chicago, and I had the great opportunity, great in quotation marks, to go to Donald Trump's what I like to call no-show rally here at the UIC Pavilion a few weeks ago. And it was a very fascinating, it was a disturbing experience. It was much misreported by the mainstream media with this narrative false equivalence about violence and how the protesters were violent and just as violent as the Donald Trump supporters. And what I noticed very quickly, and as I have that piece at the Washington Spectator, obviously up at Newsweek, my own site, SeanCVega.com, is that much of the violence that I witnessed was actually perpetrated by black Donald Trump supporters. And in general, it was the Donald Trump supporters who were the most violent. That really is a surprise, isn't it? Uh, no, to be honest. Um, we understand you're huh. thinking about authoritarianism and thinking about racism, and it's not just about color, it's about power. Very often the groups that are the most marginalized who are seeking approval from people who don't like them, in this case black folks who are Donald Trump supporters given his overt racism and the Republican Party more generally, they have to outperform and out-ugly and act worse than the people they're trying to earn the approval of. I see. So it's it's psychiatry, really, or psychology. Well, I say it's groups. You know, it's, it's, it's social dynamics, right? You know, we have a society that's oriented around racism in a lot of ways. Unfortunately, we have folks, all of us, who have internalized those values. And when you think about the role of black conservatives in today's Republican Party since at least the civil rights movement, you know, I've described them quite literally as human chaff. They are the professional best black friends for the Republican Party. And I guess the same thing happens in other things like the log cabin gay conservatives who are members of the GOP. There are all sorts of things, including blue-collar workers, white, mm-hmm. white old uh, male blue-collar workers who actually vote against their best interest uh, repeatedly, which is uh, an interesting phenomenon. I mean, it happens well, around the world. Even, yeah, and you can even think about, you know, women who are against feminism. You know, if we understand feminism to, believe, to be the belief that women should have, be equal in all uh, ways, political, social, and economic, we have a lot of women in the Republican Party who advocate against women having reproductive rights, women having, you know, the equal rights that men have. So, again, it is group psychology, but we also have to be very calculating, too, and practical. It's very, very financially lucrative to be the professional sycophant and naysayer. You know, if you're a black conservative or a Latino who's against uh, other Latinos in immigration, if you're a woman who's against feminism, if you're a gay person who's against gay rights, well, you have a paid-for slot on Fox News. You're going to go on the right-wing lecture circuit. You're going to make thousands of dollars, and you're going to get book deals. So it's very, very, very lucrative. I think you're right. And from what I know about, uh, I know something about economics. And there are a number of economists who hold views that actually you couldn't possibly hold if you were rational. (laughs) But they do amazingly well getting flown around all over the place, uh, five-star hotels where the Cokes and other people uh, stuff money in their mouths. Uh, And they're happy to do it. Well, that's up to them, I suppose. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of contrarianism per se, I guess. Um, tell me, you said that you thought that the Illinois uh, event wasn't well covered by the mainstream media. As far as I remember, you could only see a couple of scuffles, and it went round and round and round. Is that because there only were two scuffles, or is it because they, their cameras were closed down? or What actually went on in that hall that so night? I had the opportunity to get a press pass, and what I did was I basically put it in my back pocket because I said if they saw me with a press pass walking around, they'd kick me out. So I just went as a private, you know, Joe Q. public regular citizen to actually mm. see what was happening because they have the press cordoned off in a bullpen area. And, again, if it bleeds, it leads, as the old saying goes. So it's going to be much more interesting to say that there was mass mayhem and chaos. 
I would say, you know, the Chicago police didn't want to shut the rally down, number one. It wasn't that violent. If the quote-unquote protesters wanted to hurt the Donald Trump supporters, they outnumbered them. They easily could have done it. The folks instigating the violence were the Donald Trump folks. And quite frankly, and I said this in earlier interviews as well, I was on the RT talking about this, that I have, you know, a deep instinct that Donald Trump had no intention of actually showing up. I think he wanted the optics. I think he knew it would play well with his public. And he wanted to engage in some old-fashioned hippie punching, as we used to say in the 60s. Yes. Uh, well, I certainly heard uh, the suggestion that, uh, I mean, he said that the police had told him to call off the rally when the police denied that. So I, I, I don't want to go into a total, uh, uh, you know, dig up all of this old news because it, it has passed. Are you, are you surprised that there hasn't been more uh, violence in the subsequent uh, days and weeks since Illinois? had some incidents of violence. Again, we've had more incidents where you had black Donald Trump supporters punching people in the face and attacking them. We had a few of those. We just had a case, I think it was in Wisconsin, where some of Donald Trump's thugs, and I call them what they are, these Trumpeteers, they they yelled racial slurs at a young white woman. I won't dare to repeat them. Pepper sprayed her in the face. And now Donald Trump, as I said, he's trying to sort of manage the optics a wee bit better, but you can never forget what Trump has actually said. He wants his supporters to beat people up. He wants violence. He tells his folks it's fun. And one of the examples I use for Donald Trump is that he's really a student of professional wrestling. He's a professional wrestling heel, a villain. And he's using those skills he learned with the World Wrestling Federation back in the day and more recently, a few years ago at WrestleMania, to really manipulate his low-information, working-class, authoritarian, racist audience. And, and amazingly effective at it if, you, if his goal is to win the nomination anyway, because it looks as if no one can derail him now. Oh, it's amazingly effective. I mean, and again, Donald Trump is the perfect candidate for this moment because he's a reality TV show a character. We have folks who are disempowered in their own lives. You know, we have a lot of fascinating and disturbing data about the increasing death rates among the white, poor and white working class, especially among white working class women. It's not the men, it's the women. And Trump has basically done really, really well in these areas where white folks are killing themselves with the deaths of despair, suicide, alcoholism, and pills. So he's also a necromancer of sorts. So he's the right man for the right time. He's able to manipulate the 24-7 news media. He is skilled in terms of his talking points and his presentation. And, you know, others have said this, too. He's really smart at manipulating white, an- white angst and white victimology. Because if you listen to his... Bri- speech, bri- brilliant line to go out on. I can't thank you enough, Chauncey. It's fascinating. One of the greatest pieces. Uh, go and read it in the Washington Spectator in full. Uh, you'll, you won't be disappointed. Goodbye. <laughs> 